Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? As always, my name is Alexandra. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the podcast where we attempt to answer the question, where do you know them from? We pick a different actor every season and watch their entire filmography all the way through. And this season, we are talking about Tessa Thompson. And boy, I know I say this a lot, and a lot particularly this season. We have a doozy for you guys today. Take it away, Elizabeth. All right, starting off our Letterboxd reviews today, we have one star. TikTok lied and said this was a good movie. Oh, TikTok is watching Which, this. honestly, say what you will about TikTok, but their commitment to posting entire movies in 30-second intervals is really keeping the film industry afloat. That's how I watched Avatar The Last Airbender in 10-minute intervals on YouTube. That's terrifying. <laughs> Next, we have half a star. Die Hard plus Panic Room equals Thief That's Into Cosplay. Cool. All right. And finally, we have one star. Not to make this film sound more interesting than it is, but this is certainly the only picture in the history of cinema whose plot is propelled by a talking toilet performing a biochemical analysis on unsuspecting person's vomit. Okay, literally, though, I had some real issues with the toilet in this movie. The toilet was freaky. It was violating some of my rights to privacy. Yeah, the scary bio toilet was not it. No, not for me. I would straight up not live here. (laughs) so this movie is murder on the 13th floor and before i proceed i just want to say one thing which is that between this movie and our last movie we're actually skipping two movies red and blue marbles and periphery because we cannot find them anywhere they are not accessible online in dvd format to purchase anything and so circle back because we'll be talking about those movies and some others in our lost media episode which will drop towards the end of this season So just stay tuned. So because of that, we were going to be taking a two-year jump now from our 2010 Everyday Black Man to 2012. Murder on the 13th Floor was directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. It was screenwritten by Stephen Palmer Peterson. It was edited by Bob Joyce. The cinematography is by Charles DeRosa. The costuming is by Lisa Norcia. And it is 79 minutes long. I think for the first time ever, Tessa Thompson actually plays our main character. Like, inarguably. Not an ensemble member, not a supporting character. She's our main character. She plays Nia Palmer, who is a live-in nanny and college student. PhD candidate. That's right. She's a grad student. Yeah. Uh, So she has a lot going on. A lot on her plate. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that's on her plate is a relationship with the father of the child. (laughs) She is nannying. Who is played by Sean Patrick Thomas. He plays Jordan Braxton who you might recognize from his roles in Till and Tragedy of Macbeth. He is probably, besides Tessa Thompson, the most critically acclaimed actor in this. However, all of the actors in this movie, besides Tessa Thompson, are primarily famous from, like, individual episodes of TV or small movies. Nice. This is where you go after SVU. Not a large cast. Everyone on it is kind of, like, mostly TV actors. Jordan Braxton is married to Ariana Braxton, who is played by Jordan Ladd. Their son is Cody Braxton, who's played by Terrell Ransom Jr. You might know Terrell Ransom Jr. from being on 98 episodes of Days of Our Lives. He was also on Good Trouble. So besides Sean Patrick Thomas and Tessa Thompson, he also is pretty famous, but he's pretty young. So he has more to grow. There are two criminals who show up in the middle of this movie. Their names are Victor and Marco. Victor is played by Brennan Elliott who is primarily famous from Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) And I did recognize him from those. Shout out to my mom. My mom, my aunt, and my cousin. We all watched those together. (laughs) 
love Hallmark Christmas movies. I am not afraid to admit it. And Marco is played by Bruno Amato. You might recognize him from a couple of episodes of Abbott Elementary. He plays Gary. He plays the vending machine repair guy. Got like a little thing going for one of the teachers. We stand Gary. Our only other two actors are Dermot the like hacker. He's the building tech. He runs the smart building that they all live in. He's our guy in the chair. He's played by Evil. Eric Michael Roy, who when he made this movie went by Eric Schneider. And then finally, our like smallest role is by T. Lynn Eanes, who plays Becca. Becca is like Nia's friend. She shows up at some point. Becca has a meeting with Tessa Thompson's character at the beginning of the movie to establish that they are friends. And then later, Becca shows up during the action of the movie to complicate things. And she's killed. And that's it. That's your cast. This movie is scored by Jeff Toyne. The production design is by Eve McCartney. And it was produced by Brace Yourselves. Johnson Chan, Douglas Schaefer, Roger Corby, Elizabeth Cullen, Vincent Ruppert, Phoenix Film Productions, Fish Corb Films, Jorva Productions, and it was distributed by Lucci Distribution and Jorva Productions. Much like the building in this movie that needed all of that money, this movie needed a lot of backers. Yeah, it did. Your plot, and I think this sums it up beautifully, is tagline, 13 empty floors, two vicious killers, no chance to escape. A neglectful mother concocts a plan to kill her live-in nanny when she discovers the nanny is having an affair with her husband. And that's it. Brevity is the soul of wit. It is. So yeah, Ariana Braxton discovers or suspects that Nia is having an affair with her husband. She is, of course, right. She also sort of is in a tiff with Nia because she doesn't think that she's a very good parent and she thinks that Nia is a better parent because we'll get into that. But so she's very jealous of Nia. And when Nia is supposed to be alone in the building because Cody is supposed to be on a sleepover, the two parents are supposed to be out at some business meeting to sell their smart building. She contacts these two hitmen, I guess you could call them. Professional criminals. To come in and one, steal her husband's blueprints slash plans for this smart building because she wants to leave him but she doesn't want to leave him without the money and so she contacts them to steal these plans and to kill nia and you'd think this would be an easy task because nia is the only person in the building besides dermot who seems to never leave i think he might live there nia definitely does live there so that's their plan this all goes awry because cody stays home from his sleepover Nia invites her friend over because she is emotionally distraught. And of course, Dermot's always there. And so a number of people die, including Dermot and Becca, her friend. And then later, there's like a series of action sequences in which Tessa Thompson's character kills both of the robbers. And she quits, I think. The action is actioning. Every action trope happens in this movie. Largely, the plot is diehard but make it Tessa Thompson as a babysitter instead of John McClane. Yeah, largely the plot is stay away from the deadly people and then confront them, and she does. And she also learns that it was the mom who put the hit on her. And there's a smart house. And there's a smart house, yeah. (laughs) Done. Easy. This movie, unrated on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 44% from the Rotten Tomatoes audience. It is unrated on Metacritic. And on Letterboxd, it again... Just like our last several movies had so few ratings that I had to manually calculate it to be 1.9 stars, which is not our lowest, but it is pretty far down there. 
a moment for the calculation. Yeah. I will say, I think that IMDb gave it like a 4.4 or something. So also not terrible. Not terrible. It's like for what this movie is supposed to be, which is a made for TV crime movie. It's fine. You know, it hits all the marks, but it is not good. Technically acting wise, plot wise, everything. It, it is not a good movie, but it is a fine made for TV. It's entertaining. Yeah. I liked this movie a lot more than some of the other ones we've watched recently. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess just kind of talking about it as a sort of typical crime movie, we can dissect some of the elements, which is mostly that it looked terrible. (laughs) It looked very much like it was made in 2012 for TV. For sure. The intro is basically like digital numbers playing over (laughs) an establishing shot of a building. There was a lot of jump cuts and an over like camera digital sounds and buzzing electric noises and it was very much giving like criminal minds and (laughs) i went into this movie knowing that there was going to be murder because it's in the title and then when the criminal mind stuff started happening i was like wow the scene is being set (laughs) and so when the first part of the movie is this kid cody busting out of a door and running down a bunch of hallways and like visibly hiding from something like he hides under his bed he's closes a bunch of doors and there's cameras everywhere in this building because it's a smart building i was like is this kid alive is he running for his life and elizabeth has corrected me to tell me that in fact he is playing hide and seek with the building tech named dermot but i was like really worried for this kid because he's running around he's hiding the smart house is talking to him saying i can still see you cody and i was like oh my god he's in danger And then he is actually physically in danger because he leaves and he climbs a trellis and he falls and bonks his head. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) As soon as this movie started and we could see all the features of the smart house, I was like, didn't we already make this movie? Wasn't it the Disney Channel original movie Smart House? Yes. Circa 1999. But this one's different, I guess. Because it's a smart building. (laughs) It's a smart apartment building. It's like if all of us strangers and smart house had a baby. Really? I was thinking about that. I was like, all of us strangers is this, but it better. Yeah. In that it's just Nia and the family that she's babysitting for that live in this building. And maybe Dermot. Nobody else lives in this building. Yeah. It's because the dad has constructed this building. He built up the schematics for it. He invested in it. His wife is like the driving business force, but he is the science mind. So they're the only people living in this house because they haven't like sold the other pieces yet and they haven't sold like the ideas to build more. But in theory, more people will live here eventually. There's at least 13 floors because I think that's the floor that Tessa Thompson lives on. And yet there's only four people living there. Yes, they live on the top floor, the 13th floor. There are 13 floors. It says so in the tagline, 13 floors. Yeah, exactly. Two killers. It's also in the two killers leg. It's kind of giving home alone. It is every movie and no movie all at once. (laughs) Oh my god. Speaking of the two killers, you guys, (laughs) I loved these two. I don't care that they're murderers. (laughs) They're great. Literally, these two thugs show up and we originally think for one tiny second, oh, these are the building techs that Dermot hired to come help him program some stuff. They hop out of their little tech van and... Then they open the back door and you just see like four bodies in the back. That's just to tell you that they're bad guys. Yeah, we get no background on who those people are. I have no idea if this is like a stop for them, if they're committing multiple crimes that day. Oh, yeah. 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 They're just running their little Good crime point. errands. Just running their little crime errands. That was definitely a tag that they pitched for Violet and Daisy. 
the Searsha movie with James Gandolfini. Yeah. For our OG fans. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. They hop out. We see the bodies briefly. They go up and... <laughs> I'm not even going to describe all of the action because it doesn't matter. And action plots make no sense to me anyway. But these yeah. robbers are truthfully like, I wanted a buddy movie of just them. Yeah. They had such a funny dynamic. They're so hilarious. They were definitely the comic relief of this otherwise very dramatic movie. Like, yeah. it's not funny until the bad guys get there. Yeah. I wanted more screen time for them. They like bust in on Dermot and they see all the cameras and like, so you spy on people yeah they're like hey you got any pictures of people naked which honestly good for them that's an entrepreneurial mind right there is like they came in they saw cameras in someone's house they said how can we make money off of this so you know what honestly i might be team criminal in this movie just as a just throwing that out there i was team criminal only because they're so funny like When they walk into the building, they are, of course, on the bottom floor in the garage. And one of them says to the other, because one of them is walking towards the elevator. He says, where are you going, dude? Stairs. And the other one says, there's 14 floors, man. I don't care if there's 14 floors, man. We're trying to stay quiet. Come on, you need to work on your cardio. Iconic. Oh, my gosh. They just treat this like it's part of their daily routine. Like one of them is like, when he's beating up Dermot. He says, like, you have a gun. And the other one says, whenever I can, I like to work with my hands. And I was like, wow, an artisanal murderer. They are so nonchalant about it. And I think that it's supposed to not be. I don't know. They really save it for me in a lot of ways. And yet, they're very silly. as funny as they are, there are a couple scenes where they are very scary. They are very scary. The baldy, who is my personal favorite of the two, and I can't remember his name, but the bald <laughs> criminal... He, like Elizabeth mentioned, loves to cosplay. He puts on a little mask that he steals from their wall. And he's like, I'm going to teach that kid what it means to fear the boogeyman. Yeah. And because they couldn't figure out their cell phones because the building was locked down because they ordered it to be. They instead (laughs) (laughs) called out to each other on the intercom because they were like, it'll be way scarier for the kid if we're talking on the intercom. And I was like, you're right. It is way scarier. If I could hear criminals talking about killing me, I'd be freaked out. I feel like these criminals are like exceptional uncles, you know, like they're definitely the kind of people that are like putting babies in mailboxes and doing weird shit to traumatize that kid, but in like a funny way, but also it's trauma. (laughs) This is really just a story about how my mom's uncles put her in the mailbox when she was a kid and also chased her around the house with an electric knife. But (laughs) that is so wild. Anyway. But yeah, it does have like a typical crime movie kind of vibe. And these these two criminals really encapsulate that kind of dynamic. They're, they are playing into stereotypes. <laughs> I will say, though, like interspersed with like the typical crime movie, I think a typical crime movie is not usually this violent. There are a couple of really gruesome shots here, like, and they're not well done or anything. But like when they kill Dermot, when they beat him up using their hands because they like to work with their hands. We then get, like, multiple flashing shots of Dermot. Like, you know, like, police photos when they play in a crime TV show? They'll, like, show the body from a whole bunch of different angles. It was really yucky. He looked terrible, and I did not need to see that many police photos of Dermot. And then later, when Becca dies, they shoot her in the head. You see the bullet hole later, like, 30 minutes later. And I was like, I do not need this. Yeah. I do not appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, that's help i'm not usually one to condone graphic violence in film (laughs) 
But I think that that's helpful in juxtaposing their silly goofiness because like when I'm watching it, I'm never like, oh, these characters are supposed to be funny. Like they might say funny things, but I'm definitely like, those are the bad guys. I'm not rooting for them really at any point. That's true. And I know that they're bad people. So I think that maybe if they were just like, haha, go to sleep, then we might be like rooting for them (laughs) to get Tessa out of there. But we really need them to not yoink Nia because Nia's our girl. We can't like them more than Nia. That's true. We are supposed to love Nia. Other than having an affair, Nia is put out to be as like this perfect person. She is getting her PhD in child psychology. She's a great nanny. She knows this kid really well. Clearly a good parent to him because his mom is not. She cares about the kids. She does good work. She's fairly uncomplaining when the mom is really mean to her. All manner of things. And she's also, I think, really good in the action scenes. Not like good acting wise, but she makes good decisions. Like she calls the police (laughs) and she knows how to use a gun because her dad's from Texas. I guess she learned all of that in When a Stranger Calls. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) That's a joke. Obviously... Tessa Thompson knows you should call the police, and she knew that before 2006. So we've kind of come out this movie a little bit from the back because all the robbers happen like middle yeah. middle forward. So just kind of to lay the scene for what these guys are walking in on. The parents seem to have a somewhat strained relationship in that one dad is cheating on mom. Awkward to begin with, but also like they don't seem to be talking like they only communicate really about economic things mom does not feel like a good mom like on the parenting note she says that tessa at the point that she already knows that he is cheating on her she says that tessa is a better mother because quote unambitious women make better mothers which is wild because tessa is literally getting a phd in child psychology that's not unambitious well what's particularly interesting to me about the character of the mom is that like From the minute we meet her, she's already, like, inferior. Like, the way that we are introduced to her as a character is that they're in the emergency room after the kid falls down during Mm hide-and-seek. And the doctor has assumed that Nia and Jordan are the parents of the child. And then Nia is like, oh, uh, just kidding, I'm not. And then the mom is like, I'm his mother. So it's like she's already presented from this point of, like, not being there, not being the kid's mom. Like, not acting well enough, you know what I'm saying, as the kid's mom? Yeah. So that interaction is set up for us immediately, that dynamic from the get-go, from the jump. Yeah. Also, she's kind of played off as being really aggressive and being a real hater, like being really mean to Tessa. But also, we know immediately, like, her husband is cheating on her with Nia. And also, like, that she has every reason to know this. Like, she suspects it. She gets it confirmed by spying on them. And so, like, to a certain extent, even though she's being cast as the villain and she definitely does villainous things like calling murderers on them, she has every right to be mad. Yeah, word. Yeah, that lady deserves to be mad. But she should be mad at her husband, not at Nia. Absolutely. I feel like Nia, truthfully, like, She is just kind of vibing this whole movie. Like, I guess when Cody was, like, climbing the trellis and fell and bonked his head, she was not paying attention because she was macking out with dad. Yeah, that wasn't her best move. That was a little irresponsible of her. Yeah, but otherwise, like, she seems like a good nanny. She even, like, at one point says to the dad, I love you so much, but I cannot be this woman anymore, and is, like, trying to leave him. 
And she has a great conversation with Cody when she tells him, hey, I can't be your nanny anymore. She says, we're never done growing up. And just because things change doesn't mean friends have to. Which I, thought was I thought really that was sweet. so nice. Yeah. She's a good nanny. She's a good person. Good child caregiver. Yeah. She does have a friend over when she's babysitting, which feels a little weird. But she was also distressed. Yeah. And like the parents knew that person. So like, I don't think it was really that big of a deal. Like the mom didn't seem mad when she learned that there was another person in their house. I mean, she was also trying to kill Mia. So like she had other priorities, but like, like, I think that's not completely unheard of or irresponsible. Something else that was a little weird that just stuck out to me as being a weird scene, but an interesting point is on the note of parenting and like who kind of is closest to this child. At one point, Nia is making dinner and she's preparing like a bow tie pasta situation. Oh, elite, immaculate, one of the top shaped tiers. And at one point, the mom walks in and she says, why are you making bow tie pasta? His favorite is fettuccine. And Nia's like, oh, haha, you must be right. LOL. I must just be mistaken. And then Cody runs in and he sees the bow tie pasta. He eats one raw noodle and he's like, bow ties are my favorite. Ah, Nia plays it off as like, oh, haha, kids change their mind all the time. But... Definitely she knows that kid better than the mom does. Yeah. When that scene happened, (laughs) I did text my mom and I said, hey, what's my favorite pasta shape? And she was like, am I being tested? (laughs) But she did know that it's bow tie. (laughs) Is your favorite pasta shape bow ties? Yeah. That's so nice. What's yours? Um, Okay. Much like the Tooch, much like Stanley Tucci, I don't have a favorite pasta shape so much as I have strong opinions about what pastas go with what sauces. Fair. But I think if I had to pick a shape that represented who I am, <laughs> I would pick like um, campanelle, like those ones that look like little flutes mm-hmm. or like trumpets sometimes. But yeah, I just feel like those are really fun and funky. But in terms of like mouthfeel, I'm probably like a penne or bow tie person. Penne is my most used pasta. I buy the most penne pasta. That's fair. That's an excellent point, actually. I just like bow ties because they're so whimsical. <laughs> they are so whimsical. I am rotini hater. I hate rotini. I I will pick a different pasta shape that goes worse with the sauce to avoid rotini. I also feel a little bit like his preferred pasta shape being bow tie because I think that they're whimsical and they're like, I don't know, they're like a kid-friendly shape. You know, a lot of kids eat bow tie pastas. Yeah. And fettuccine is not a kid-friendly exactly. shape. It is hard to eat it's a messy. fettuccine. Yeah. I feel like it speaks to Nia, like, meeting him where he is and, like, knowing that he's a kid and that he's still developing and, like, knowing that his tastes will change really fast. And then the mom is like, no, he's my kid. I'm a busy businesswoman who only cares about business and selling this tech, this smart home. I cannot believe that we are analyzing pasta choices of this Lifetime original movie. But you know what? You're so right. That's so real. That was legit. Thank you. The director is probably like, yes, that is exactly what I meant. Finally, (laughs) someone unlocked my bow tie Easter egg. What if that was true? (laughs) I'm sure it was. Like, I'm sure that's why they picked those two pasta shapes and not just like any other pasta. Uh, Also, okay, we got to move away from pasta because the movie's not about it. (laughs) But like one thing about this movie that I really wanted to talk to you about is the technology. Because oh I feel God. like, of course, since they're living in a smart building, obviously technology frames their lives because it's literally the frame in which they are living. 
But I think it's particularly poignant here. Okay, so the dad designs this building, right? It's 13 to 14 floors, depending on who you ask. Like the way that it is, is you use your hand, your biometrics to enter a room, to enter into your living space. And it's not super well sorted out yet because like the mom isn't recognized and Nia is. So that's like a point of contention in their marriage. But also like the elevators, you like scan your face to say, oh, hello, Nia, ready to go to the ninth floor, things like that. But they're also super glitchy. Like Nia takes the stairs instead of using the elevator because it doesn't work for her. But all of it is controlled from one room by Dermot. And I feel like that is the issue. The dad is positioning this as like some environmental thing. Like if you buy one of our condominiums, you're literally making an investment in the future. Good for you. But there's so many elements of this building technology that when I saw them for the first time, I was like, that's going to be relevant when the action and the murder starts happening. And then it never was. Yeah, there's a lot of elements of the little design that just never become relevant. But there's a lot that do like the toilet. (laughs) At the beginning, the kid goes to the bathroom and then the toilet is like, everything's normal. Continue about your day. And then that kid pours mouthwash into the toilet and the toilet is like, bad, evil, unnecessarily high levels of alcohol are in your urine. And the kid is like, hee hee hee. And then the toilet is a narc. The toilet says, we are going to tell your dad. It literally is like, we're texting your parent right now and telling your parent that there's alcohol in your urine. And then he runs outside. And his dad is like, ha ha, why did you do that again? And I was like, why do you have the setting set up so that it narks on your kid if you're going to believe your kid when he's like, I poured mouthwash in the toilet, but I guess he's three, so he's probably not drinking. Anyway, he's not three, but he's young. He's baby. Yeah, he is baby. Anyway, the Chekhov's toilet goes off later when Nia is using the bathroom and the mom goes in after her and the toilet narks on Nia and is like, there's hcg in that girl's pee and the mom is like tell me more about hcg and then we all have a fun little chemistry lesson and we learn that that is the hormone that they use to detect pregnancy we already knew that she was pregnant because she has been throwing up the entire movie we learn about the hormone yeah the mom importantly learns about the hormone yes this is why she's like a fair and then she goes into dermot's little hideaway cabinet and she's like show me the cameras computer man Yeah, and then the computer is like, actually not authorized to see the elevator. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Very funny. But yeah, like half the building tech doesn't work, but the cameras and the the audio and the cameras work perfectly. Like crystal clear. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Yeah. So like the hand scanners for the doors are really slow, which I thought was going to be an issue because I thought, oh, surely when she's running around avoiding murderers, her hand's not going to open the door fast enough. Never happens. And surely it will matter that she can't get the elevator doors to work. Never relevant. There's also this weird setup where she leaves their like penthouse apartment into her apartment that is in the same building, but on a different floor. And it like doesn't have the same technology. There's this juxtaposition of like her and the mom getting ready in the morning at the same time. And Tessa Thompson's character is doing all of her things like in the normal way and the mom is doing all of the like automated versions and like using the smart house equipment but there's some stuff that like is in nia's apartment like there's an intercom that they can yell at her from yeah and that never kind of comes back up like 
I thought there was going to be some sort of like class dynamic and that never really comes back up. Yeah, there really only was like in that getting ready scene where it cuts between Tessa like manually opening her curtains and manually brewing coffee and the mom like having curtains opened for her by the technology and having her coffee ready when she comes downstairs and then yelling at Nia through the intercom like, Nia, are you awake yet? Can you run all these extra errands for me? SMH. Yeah, I wish that there had been more class tech commentary. I was also confused because surely the entire building is smart tech. Why is Nia's apartment not built like that? I wonder if they're like renovating the building. Oh. If they hadn't built it from scratch. That could be so. That would be cheaper. Yeah. Or maybe if there's like levels, like if you pay more, then you get the the tech coffee maker. But why would you pay for an apartment with just an intercom? Clearly, like the Nothing intercom had been sense. installed by the mom. Because, like, why would right. anyone not connected to that family, like who does not work for them, want an intercom directly to them? That was the other thing. And I know that they own the building, but the mom, I thought this was an insane invasion of privacy because, like, from the top floor penthouse suite where the mom and dad and Cody live, they can access the cameras to the hallways and the elevators and the stairwells, which feels crazy if i found that out and i lived there i'd be moving immediately a couple things first they own the building Mm -hmm. and it's in development so they have all of that so they can make sure the tech is working second plenty of people have like ring doorbells where you can see the hallway outside of a building that's fair and the mom's stuff is restricted she can't follow him all the way out of the building Mm -hmm. which is like kind of sketchy so It's not so sketch, but it is weird. And it leaves a lot of room for invasions of privacy. But I think ultimately the idea is just to like be able to monitor everything. Yeah. And like that's how she gets the affair confirmed is that she watches them and then listens through the cameras in Dermot's tech corner. Yeah. There were a couple of things, though, that I felt like were extreme invasions of privacy. Like when the robbers walk into Dermot's little hideaway... They first tell him, like, shut down the buildings so that no one can leave and no one can call out with their little Mm -hmm. landlines. And Dermot does not have a code for this. Like, there's not, like, a button he can push that says shut down building. But he can Mm -hmm. write one pretty easily. And that seems like it shouldn't be able to happen. Also, later, someone, possibly Tessa, tries to power down the whole building and does. And there's a key for that. There's, like, a yes, you can turn off all the lights and all the technology in this entire building right now button and that feels like also button that shouldn't exist you know yeah it should because like if they have to do maintenance to the power situation like the grid you know i guess i guess if you need to turn off someone's water yeah there it totally makes sense one that you could write a code that just blocked all the other code that seems pretty i don't know anything about code but seems pretty easy to write something that's just no like reverse uno (laughs) And then it also seems like there would be a key that just powered everything down. It is also extremely convenient plot-wise. But... Yeah. Okay. Okay. You've sold me. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> just when I was watching it, I was like, that's a little too convenient. Dermot shouldn't be able yeah. to do that. But He's you're just right. really good at his job, I guess. I can envision a scenario in which like, you would need to lock down the building for a legitimate non-theft reason. Non-theft reason. Non-terror reason. I guess it's not really terror. It's only terrorism and die hard. Yeah. I just like, this movie was so nothing to me. Actually, (laughs) one other thing, 
that I want to say before we get into like some of the more like nitty gritty things tech wise is that the mom in the bow tie pasta scene, which meant a lot to me, that was perhaps the most interesting scene in the entire movie is when they were talking about pasta shapes. <laughs> because I important scene. I had a lot riding on that. I was like, does my mom know my favorite pasta shape? And shout out to Molly. She sure did. Good mom. I know. You were really excited about that. Excellent parenting. So in that pasta scene, the mom has a little monologue about truffle oil. Oh my god, not that truffle oil part. After Cody leaves, after he has confirmed, ah yes, bow tie pasta is in fact my favorite. Thank you, Nia. She has a little monologue about truffle oil. She picks up a little bottle of truffle oil off the counter and she's like, oh, you're using truffle oil? Hmm. Which color of truffle oil are you using? I actually don't think that she makes a comment about what kind is being used she's just like you know there's two kinds of truffle oil. oh yeah okay yeah she does say that she says so black is expensive and exquisite and then there's the white truffle that's the most delicious tasting one is the most potent climax of your life and i was like first why are you sexualizing truffle oil it's a mushroom and why are you racializing truffle and why oil? are you racializing truffle oil that was like it's important to know that was for so me right uncalled now for that tessa thompson as we of course know is black jordan the dad is black and the mom, Ariana, is white. So it's not just a total throwaway thing, but it was a weird thing to throw in there. Like, well, you know what? I think it might kind of be a total throwaway thing because race is never unpacked for never. the rest of the movie. It's never again relevant. Yeah. Later, they make one more comment about how Tessa's friend that dies was also black. And the criminal is like, how many black nannies do we have to kill? Blah, 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 blah. But like, race functions in that scene as like a descriptor yeah we're not making a comment about race it's just like is this white lady jealous of nia because she's black but we don't unpack that like i don't know it seems like when she's talking about the white truffle oil that she's like being white is better but that's a wild thing to say when you're saying it about truffle oil like yes white supremacist vibes literally yeah so the mom evil on many levels including i guess all the white people in this movie are bad because the criminals are bad and then it turns out that dermot knows the criminal like he was in on it the whole time what yeah they killed him yeah but remember after so they like rough him up and then they're like hey sorry man we had to do that so that it would seem like you weren't in on it the whole time and then later they still kill him he knew who they were when he let them in I think. I don't think that Dermot knew. He thought that they were building techs and they rough but him then up. But why do like, they apologize? They're like, sorry that we roughed you up. We had to convince everyone that Because their goal was not to kill him. We were. You know, their goal is to kill Tessa Thompson and steal the plans. And he's just, he's just a corollary to that. I know, but I think that he knew that they were there to kill her. Damn. That's crazy. I really was here thinking that Dermot was cool. Tough. I mean, maybe he was because he was weird when they were like, do you have pictures of people? But there was a part where I was like, oh, shit. So like he knew. I did not think that Dermot was in on it. Like he was very not helpful to them. But he was like, I can write that code. Yeah, because they had a gun to his head. Listen, I think <laughs> maybe he wasn't conscripted into it. Like maybe he wasn't asked by the scary white lady. But he knew that she was bad so when they showed up and they were bad he wasn't surprised and that's what it was mm, that could be but so. something nefarious is going on with dermot he's not guiltless interesting yeah 
Anyway, well, the white people in this movie are bad, largely. I don't have a ton more to say about this movie. It was not very interesting, technically. It was so silly goofy, though. Yeah, it was I so freaking silly goofy. I loved how silly it was. Yeah, the lighting in this was, like, atrocious, but all the establishing shots, of which there are so, so many, were cracking me up because they literally show this building from every possible angle. That's true. It is, like, how many different ways can we shoot this building? Yeah, and, like... I don't know. It was just kind of like the music was uninspiring. God, I hated the music so much. You know what's actually whack is that the music was inspiring and it did not need to be. Like, it did not match the tone of this movie at all. It was like early 2000s, like Avril Lavigne-esque pop. It was this weird pop music that didn't match the tone of the movie at all. Yeah. And like at the end of the movie, when they're all walking out or when the people who are alive are all walking out. It's playing this like hopeful things are good music and I was like things are not good multiple people have died things are bad yeah. nobody's gonna want to buy your scary murder house idea exactly that kid's gonna be traumatized forever yeah but like you said this movie was so silly goofy it was very silly goofy okay so Tessa Thompson at the beginning of the movie before we find out that she is pregnant she doesn't eat the ice cream that she has served to this family and she says I hope I'm not becoming lactose intolerant. I would die if I couldn't eat ice cream. And she says it just like that. And it's awful. It's the worst that I'm not joking. I'm I'll lock in my answer now is the worst line delivery I've ever seen that woman give. It was terrible. Yeah, I think that this might be her worst acting performance. It was so flat. Definitely, None of the lines were read well. And I think, you know, it's probably because the movie is poorly written and not like a great environment to do good acting in yeah all of her like sincere lines were this kind of like ah, kind of vibe yeah i don't know they were like too light too whimsical perhaps yeah and we've established that she is pretty good at playing like soft and innocent but she was overdoing it here until she gets to the shooting someone and saying my dad's from texas like yeah that was so random when the mom is like how do you know how to shoot a gun she's like my dad is from texas what 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 is yeah okay bonkers yeehaw i guess something else that's funny actually right before tessa is revealed to be pregnant she opens her actual calendar to check when her last period was and i was like are you joking like a physical calendar you open with nothing else in it there's no dates on this calendar like nothing including like her last period like she just remembers the day i don't know maybe other people are built different but couldn't be me that was so wild also in the lactose intolerant scene when she says hope i'm not lactose intolerant ha 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 i want to eat ice cream she gets up and walks inside and as she gets up and walks inside the little kid cody is like what does lactose intolerant mean? And then both of his parents just laugh. And I'm like, that's not a funny question. He's five. He's never heard what that is before. Tell him what lactose intolerant means. You guys are so weird. The mom and dad in this movie, not great parents. I'm going to go ahead and say that canonically they don't know. So they just laughed. Wouldn't that be wild? That'd be crazy. In my America, those two people don't know what lactose intolerance is. And that's somehow so much funnier. Yeah. They should let me write screenplays. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked to you about like just how funny the robbers were. Oh my gosh. They were they cracking me up. Little Mardi Gras masks. Yeah. So as bad as this movie was, it was not unenjoyable to watch. It was fun to watch. I had a good time. And for that reason, I'll be giving it a two. 
because it was actually awful, but it was entertaining. I gave it two stars. Tessa, this is, I think, and I hope, unequivocally, her worst movie, acting-wise. Yeah. I hope it does not go downhill from here. I can tell you right now that it is the worst of the stuff that I've seen so far. Yeah. And so I think I'm going to give her a one. Yeah, I think it's a one star for me, too. I'm sorry, Tessa. Yeah. But I know it'll be better. It gets better. It was just so flat, and I did not care about her character at all, I, even though she was the main character. So, yeah, there you go. Terrible movie, but funny. And that's that on Murder on the 13th Floor. <laughs> if you enjoyed listening to our podcast today... You can leave us a review on the podcast listening app of your choice. You can also follow us on Instagram at where do I know them from for a very cool behind the scenes look at our recording process for fun and silly goofy reels for excellent editions of Fuck Mary Kill for all of your podcast fan needs. That's where we are. Oh yeah. And we love you guys so much. Yeah. See you next we'll week. See you next week. <laughs>